This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. In October 2010, Fenway Sports Group, then known as New England Sports Ventures, the owners of the prestigious baseball team, the Boston Red Sox, announced that they had bought Liverpool Football Club. I'm Matt Addison, and on this special edition of the Blood Red podcast, I've spoken to four people who know all about the ownership group to get the inside story on their tenure at Anfield so far. There have been plenty of mistakes. The recent furlough decision, and then U-turn for instance, proves that. But Liverpool are now the reigning Premier League, European and world champions under Jurgen Klopp. So FSG must have done something right too. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. In Boston, the Red Sox hadn't won the World Series for 86 years, in a drought that was painful for fans until John Henry, Tom Werner and co took over in 2001. They won the World Series inside three years, and thanks to some smart recruitment, their title drought was over thanks to the work of their coaching staff. Sound familiar? That's because it very much is. There are plenty of parallels between Liverpool and Boston, and by extension, Liverpool FC and the Red Sox, and not least because of the shared ownership. The first of the people I spoke to in order to get the inside track on FSG, the Red Sox, and how it's all relevant to Liverpool FC, is Frank DeLapa, one of the biggest soccer writers in the USA, who's also based in Boston. Starting with the financial side of things, then about Anfield and Fenway Park's renovations, we discussed the similarities between Liverpool Football Club and the Boston Red Sox. There's a lot of um, similarities. Yeah, I think they um, saw... Well, I don't think either... either um, the Red Sox really weren't in any kind of financial trouble where, where Liverpool had uh, leveraged things going, a lot of stuff going on there. But um, what, the, what the Fenway Sports Group did and John Henry did with both places and they were really good at it was taking um you know sort of a legacy or whatever they want to call these teams that have these tremendous histories and followings and turning it you know and getting it back to where it could be and, and modernizing the whole operation so they become these um highly profitable and highly successful on the field which you kind of have to do both now, you know, you have to raise uh, revenue and maximize your thing, you know, uh, all of your assets and that sort of thing. And they did that with both, both teams. So very similar there. Yeah. I mean, obviously a big sort of figure for, for FSG was, was Billy Bean and the sort of, you know, the, the money ball sort of side of things. Is that basically how the Red Sox progressed from, from where they were to where they are now? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, that was part of it. And they brought in a general manager named Theo Epstein, who was like 28 years old when he took over. So, and they kind of brought in a lot of new ideas and and modernized the whole thing. But I think it's a lot easier to do in baseball than than in football and soccer, as uh, they found out. Because I think they used Billy Bean to advise them when, when they first took over Liverpool. And, you know, it didn't quite work out the same way. Eventually it did, though. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, in terms of, you know, in the US, in terms of US sports, were they the first to sort of switch over to, to data and, and analytics or had that been done before? No, I think it had been done before because Billy Bean, I think, was with uh, athletics and he did it out there and a couple of other teams were, were doing it. But they were but they jumped on it and they kind of really needed to do it. There are some places like uh, Boston is similar to Liverpool in the sense in the Fenway Park 
and Anfield are similar because they're kind of limited and they're really old. So that history is is great to have. But in the modern game, you know, when teams are and stadiums are expanding and you need to, uh, you know, up your revenue streams and all that stuff, you know, it was kind of hard to do. So you had to uh, maximize everything out, you know. So they, I think in both cases, they um, uh, really investigated and looked into uh, completely redoing those stadiums, if not knocking them out and, and building new ones, which would have been, you know, uh, I mean, people were, were really objected to that, but that's what, you know, modern owners do and modern teams do. Luckily, they didn't do it in either case. Instead, they maximized what you could do at Anfield. I guess they're still doing that, but, and they did the same thing at Fenway. So now you have the history, you've got uh, the tradition, you've got everything, and you've got a you know, relatively modern stadiums as well. Yeah, what what do you think were the the key factors behind them staying at the stadium? Obviously, they learned from what had happened in Boston when they did it for Liverpool. Do you think the factors were were the same? Very similar. Yeah, I think first of all, there wasn't that many places to go. You know, first of all, you couldn't expand these either one of the stadiums very much. They're built in there. You you can't do a whole lot to change the capacity. Um, and so once you settle on that and realize that if you move, you know, to the outskirts of some other place, you're going to lose a lot of intangibles as well as tangible uh, qualities. And once you accept that and just try to optimize what you have there, uh, I think they did a great job in, in doing that. Now, um, I th- you know, these guys are, they're sort of modern uh, whatever you call it, sports entrepreneurs, you know, and they're able to figure out a lot of things and, and capitalize again on those intangibles, which you have to try to preserve the tradition and the, the history. And I think they realized that they respected that. Uh, when they went to Liverpool, um, I don't think they really grasped just how deep everything goes there. You know, I thought they thought it was similar to Boston and similar to the Red Sox, which it is, but it's, it's pretty strong, you know, as you guys know. So uh, I think once they figured that out, they realized we should just stay here, you know, at Anfield and, and just do it there. And, and I guess they've done, you know, they've preserved pretty much the, the atmosphere and everything that you guys have always had. Yeah, definitely. I think obviously they've made a few mistakes whilst they've been over in Liverpool. We'll, we'll sort of come to those in just a, a few minutes' time. But just in, in terms of the sort of view from Boston, I mean, are Fenway Sports Group liked? Do, do, do people sort of react positively to them there? Yeah, I think they do have a really good reputation because they uh, came in and didn't really change things too much. Uh, you know, some other places, some other owners don't quite or uh, you know, teams don't have quite the same reputation, but they have a really good reputation. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw last, they have these premier league, uh, shows, you know, every, uh, you know, they show premier league games over here. And when they did it at Fenway park, they drew 15,000 people to watch the prem on Saturday morning and Sunday morning at 9. AM. 15,000 people showed up at Fenway park to watch the games on TV. Um, so that shows you that, you know, they have this really good will. John Henry was there, you know, watching part of the game and, you know, uh, you don't hear too much negative stuff about them. Has that always been the case? Was that the case right from when they came in? 
Well, I think there was a lot of skepticism and resistance at first, but they proved themselves pretty quickly. And, you know, the, the team hadn't won any championships for, um, you know, uh, almost uh, 80 some years. I'm trying to do the math real quick here. Yeah, 86 years or wherever it was. And then they won yeah. the World, World Series, I think, and then just continued from there. So, yeah, no, it's been not, almost nothing but positive. And in terms of Liverpool Football Club, then, do you think Liverpool are maybe viewed even more positively because of the obvious FSG link by people in Boston? Oh, absolutely. But I think Liverpool has this huge following anyway, which were, and I think that just sort of um, just concentrated it and we really saw it. Maybe you didn't know it before, but if you go to um, Central Square in Cambridge uh, right here, and watch a game at the Phoenix Landing, that's the Liverpool uh, uh, Supporters Club. And that place is jammed every uh, morning or every time a Liverpool game is on. You can't even get a seat. Uh, so you've, you've always had that. And I think this kind of maybe just focused it. And, and now it's like, uh, it's a stronghold, it's a Liverpool stronghold right here. Yeah, that's, that's great to hear. It really is. But in terms of sort of the, the Red Sox fans, I mean, we've seen over sort of FSG's time at Liverpool, there's maybe been some Liverpool fans who think they've spent too much time in Boston and, mm. and not enough time in Liverpool. Would the Red Sox fans maybe argue it the other way around? Do you think it, it's just a sort of case of, you know, that they've got two huge enterprises and, and you can't spend all of your time in one place? Well, I think it's a phenomenon. I, I agree. I think that some people have always been skeptical of that. And if things do go wrong here with the Red Sox, they think that maybe. But it hasn't really uh, gained that much momentum because things haven't gone too badly wrong uh, too too many times. Uh, they're really good at delegating. John Henry's delegated a lot of stuff to Mike Gordon and other guys over there. And, uh, you know, I think they, they realize when they went into Liverpool, they realized they didn't know enough about the game or about Liverpool to just go in. So they just sent a couple of people over, delegated everything out, and and that's that's how it's worked. Um, I think they're you got to say they're pretty close to masters at it because you could uh, alienate easily alienate one of the supporters groups or the fan groups by spending you know inordinate amount of time on one or the other project. But for both of them to be so highly successful. Uh, that's rare. I, I don't think any, any too many other um, enter, uh, you know enterprises could do that. Juggle two teams in two different countries and two different sports and and have this much success. No, definitely, I, I totally agree with you there. Obviously, delegation is is a big thing for for FSG, but it has sometimes gone wrong, as we've said, and they've made some pretty high profile errors. I think at Liverpool, I'm thinking sort of ticket prices and and the recent mm. furlough decision. Uh, have there been, or you know, in, in terms of in Boston, have those errors at Liverpool been picked up on? Not so much. No, I, I don't think so. I think it's such a different world, you know, and everybody's got their own concerns over here. I, I don't know how much crossover uh, interest in fans there are. There is, you know, I really, it's kind of separate, but, um, you know, I think they've also been able to kind of put out those fires pretty quickly. And so, you know, you don't, it doesn't go on and on and into some really uh pr nightmare and uh i think even at the start too look at uh i think they made some wrong decisions and liverpool wasn't looking too great at the start there and then they brought in jürgen klopp you know which was 
which was the right move. And, you know, um, so I was going to try to make a point here that where those mistakes that they made at the start where, um, you know, they didn't bring in quite the right people. I think they were using Billy Bean's formula. It wasn't quite working out. Um, and, and they needed to do something right. And the timing on Jurgen Klopp was really fortuitous. Um, had they, you know, if they didn't get him right then, Klopp might have gone somewhere else. He probably would have, you know. And so they needed him, and, you know, he was he was available. So they kind of lucked out. And, uh, you know, uh, I think he puts out a lot of fires for him too, you know, because there's there's a lot of things going on there that might not be right or perfect, but, you know, he always says the right thing, and he, he uh, persuades people that they're on the right path. Definitely. I think he, he is the absolute perfect person for, for Liverpool. Do you think... Do you think it was complete luck that they got Jurgen Klopp, or, or do you think there's maybe a, a bit of skill in it too, and that they know the right person? I suppose it comes back to that delegation, doesn't it? They know the right person for the specific job that they need doing. Sure, and I think they learned from their mistakes. Um, you know, Brendan Rodgers was good, but he wasn't perfect for for what they had, and they needed to kick it up to another level. And yeah, I think they they did their they studied, they did their homework or whatever it was, and and they settled on. On Jurgen Klopp, they might have gotten somebody else, but there weren't too many people at that level, and they they were going to make that happen. So, yeah, you have to give them credit. I think the luck is just in the timing. So, but timing is 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 everything, as they say sometimes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just 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 to go back slightly to to the errors that they've made in terms of like ticket pricing and things like that. Is there any parallels? at all with the Red Sox? Have they made similar errors there which have been criticized? Yeah, sure. I mean, there's always complaints in, in American sports. You know, the difference, not having open leagues and having these franchises, you know, you control the uh, supply and demand. And, and uh, so you only have, you know, one major league baseball team in, you know, a six-state area here. So you've got X millions with only one team. So they can control that. And they still get complaints, but there's not too many alternatives for people. If you don't want to watch a Red Sox game, you can't go to Everton or some team across. Not that you would, but you know what I mean? You you can't yeah, start yeah. Uh, You really don't have any alternatives. So uh, they do get a lot, a lot of bite back on that. And all, all the pro teams here do, but there's not too many alternatives because it's a franchise system, you know, so you don't have any choice. Yeah, I suppose that reminds me really of, of the time they got probably the most criticism at Liverpool was when they referred to fans as customers. I mean, was that <laughs> something that, that shocked people in America? Or is that, as you say, that sort of franchise side of things, is that sort of normal terms for, for people in Boston, maybe? Yeah, consumers or, or, or uh, yeah, um, it is. That's why I try to be conscious of using the term supporters for um for fans or whatever you want to call them in, in Europe and other countries, because they are more supporters here. They are, they're just considered basically paying customers. You know, when it comes down to it, um, teams, they'll actually move these teams. The Red Sox probably won't move, but they could, you know, if they get a better deal, they will actually pick up a team and move it to another city, another state. And, you know, they always leverage that against the community and the municipality. And it's uh, basically, it's a business deal. 
Yeah, I think that sort of underlines, doesn't it, the, the different sort of approaches and the difficulties really, of course, they know the Red Sox inside out and maybe when they came to Liverpool it, it wasn't quite the case. But without wanting to, to sound too negative because obviously they've done a, a fantastic job. They they did earlier this year sack the, the Red Sox manager, I understand, Alex Cora, I think it was, after he was found guilty of, of cheating a, a previous team. And a couple of years ago they had to issue a statement when they were using Apple Watches to send tactical messages and things like that. So. <laughs> I mean, was the reaction to that and the, the sort of way that they responded to that as quick as, as maybe what they've done at Liverpool, where, as you say, if they make a mistake, they'll go back and, and they'll apologise and they'll make it right straight away? Yeah, I think they, they covered that pretty quickly and covered their bases or whatever you want to call it because they uh, saw that I think they kind of knew that was going to come down and they had to make a a statement on it quickly. Uh, it's such a different sport, though, that, you know, um, there's so much time in between. Everything's a set piece, you know. So, like, uh, if you had, like, you know, five minutes to study how the team was going to do a corner kick, you know, you'd have all sorts of electronic devices figuring it out, maybe. But that's what happens on every pitch. So, uh, you know, I think it's being done by – what I'm saying is it's being done by everybody. There's so much time. There's so much high-tech stuff out there that uh they knew this was going to come down possibly so they just had to make make the call on it right away yeah i can completely understand that we've seen various stories over the last couple of years in particular that fsg might be willing to sell liverpool if they got the right price but they've always denied that to be true i mean if they were to sell one of the red Sox or liverpool football club which one do you think would be the most likely <laughs> Well, I don't think they would sell the Red Sox for sure, but um, I don't think they would sell Liverpool either. I think it's just such a highly functioning, uh, you know, I think they've, they've, they've just had such great success there. I think they like it too. You know, it's the thing you have to get into the spirit of it at some point. It's not just a business deal all the way, especially in in England and, you know, in Europe and football. It's it's And once you cross that line and it becomes more than just a business deal. I think you're attached to it emotionally as well. Uh, of course they, they could still get an offer, but I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, either, either one, you know, they also have like NASCAR racing and other, other sort of things. I think they'd be more likely to, um, unload some of that other stuff rather than, uh, the Red Sox and Liverpool are there. Those are their prize, you know, the crown jewels and all that sort of thing. Of course, and, and the way it's going, I'm sure Liverpool fans will be quite happy with that. I mean, they, they were linked actually with a, a takeover of Rangers up in, in Scotland a few months ago. Do you think it, it could even be the case that they might look to expand further? I wouldn't doubt it. I think they've been so successful in almost everything they do is, with sports that I think that they, they might well do something like that. I don't have any inside knowledge on it, though. On the other hand, I don't think you want to get too stretched out with with uh, your your soccer teams because they're then you're really going to run into uh uh supporters you know wondering just you know which which club you support the blood red podcast from the liverpool echo liverpool.com's ollie Connolly, who lived in boston for three years and has written extensively about u.s sports including covering the red sox was the perfect person to speak to as well I started by asking him about Moneyball founder Billy Bean and the comparisons which have been made between him and Liverpool sporting director Michael Edwards before getting more into his methods and the ways in which his theories have helped Liverpool and their transfer market approach. 
Billy was the guy who kind of transformed the paradigm of the game by seeing that the way they played the sport for essentially 200, 300 years since the inception of the sport really was done wrong and then changed it in a fortnight. <laughs> it is probably a bit more seismic than what Michael Edwards has done, which is kind of figured out how to work the transfer market a bit more. Uh, that being the, the big difference of transfers versus trades and drafts and what have you. Um, he, Billy Bean took away any of the preconceived notions of body type meant you were more athletic and things of that nature. So went purely into an offensive route of the game, which, um, which I guess does draw pretty decent parallels. It's all just about finding market inefficiencies. And that's something that FSG, through baseball, through their TV networks, through newspapers, that's the sole focus is the, the market inefficiency. Yeah, I mean, he, he never actually became the, the general manager of the Red Sox. I mean, as, as I understand it, John W. Henry did try and sort of try and convince him to, to do that. They offered him a huge salary. I mean, what do you think was, was the reason for, for FSG to be so keen to get him? Was it just because he was almost like one of a kind? Yeah, at the time, well, what, what someone is proposing, if you just think about it logically, is I will save you a ton of money and we will win more. So why would you not go and offer that guy the godfather offer? Pay him a lot of money and he will save you a lot of money in the long run. And as we know with with FSG and John Henry, it, it's not so much that they are cold businessmen, but it's not so much that they are they're devoid of passion. They don't want to win for the sake of making money like maybe some more parasitic owners. It's that they want to find the best possible balance. They understand by winning a lot, they can generate more cash. And Billy Bean offered the opportunity, if you can pay far less money, stop giving out big contracts to free agents and aging players, we'll get younger, we'll get smarter, we'll get more efficient, and we'll actually end up winning more. So you'll pay less and win more, which is the, the kind of perfect. And the guy they got in in the end, Theo Epstein, the young wonder kid, who is probably more of the that Michael Edwards model where he sits in the background, no one knows who he is. He goes to a, a very fancy school. You know, Billy Dean was a former player, whereas Theo Epstein, who they, they got, was kind of this new Ivy League elite that came to take over baseball. Um, that kind of like poindexterous, doesn't play the game style was was the avenue they followed, which is kind of where baseball followed after that. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned that Billy Bean came in and, and had an impact straight away. I suppose Michael Edwards at, at Liverpool maybe was not quite as, as successful early on, but he's sort of become more successful over time. I mean, would you say that's the, the key difference? Is, is that a fair assessment of the two? That would be fair. I think that the, the degree of control is so much different. Um, the most important figure in any baseball organization is the general manager because he finds the talent and talent wins. Um, in a football club, the manager makes the most difference. Um, so once you give players to Jurgen Klopp and you land a transcendent figure, everything you do looks smarter, right? Like steals for Jordan Shakiri start looking quite creative and oh, oh, they should go and get more guys who've been relegated with relegation release clauses. Those sort of things look a lot smarter when you land a once in a lifetime manager. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, even though Billy Bean never ended up at the Red Sox, I mean, I, I believe he did actually advise FSG at certain times. And I mean, there was a, a story when FSG first bought Liverpool that he sort of advised them in that too. I mean, do you know anything about that? And, and was that true at the time? Do you know? I don't know a great deal. I know there's a ton of people um, in that kind of sports nerd analytics realms in American sports. Daryl Morey being one of the, the biggest proponents, the the guy who runs the Houston Rockets basketball team. And he and Billy Bean are you know, close pals and they kick around ideas. And they are for the longest time just considered soccer, as they call it, to be played completely the wrong way. Massively inefficient in the transfer market and then just the playing style being completely 
um, inefficient and wrong. So I, I wouldn't surprise me at all. I know Billy Beans did some stuff with, with Fulham and has helped all kinds of clubs and just kind of data research and how to set up a data department more so than like the specifics of how you use the, the sports-specific data. It wouldn't surprise me at all if he kind of laid out his blueprint. Because I do know that Daryl Morey has kind of a manifesto that he just wrote on his own iPad that he will show people at bars all the time. It would not surprise me at all if Billy Bean had something similar that if someone from the, from the soccer world came and asked for his help, he would just be able to to release all this information. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting as well that you mentioned Fulham there because I believe Fulham was was one of the clubs that FSG looked at before they came to Liverpool. So maybe there's some sort of link there. I mm-hmm. don't know. But I mean, in terms of sort of money ball, I suppose that's the, the key sort of term here. I mean, it, it's kind of, as you say, it's about signing cheap, selling big, or, or is it more maybe about finding value? Because, I mean, is, for example, Andy Robertson a good example of Moneyball, or, or maybe not, given that he hasn't been sold and, and there's no plans to sort of make money on him? Yeah, the Moneyball thing is, is again, going back to, to the uh, just finding inefficiencies in the marketplace. Um, guys who are undervalued for reasons that should not be. So someone like Andy Robertson is actually a perfect example there's a guy who clearly we've seen now has the talent to be a what top 10, top five left back in world football and the right system with the right teammates and all that stuff that goes into to making football more of a perpetual motion game and the, the static thing you have with baseball. But let's say he's a top 10 left back for, for argument's sake, just because he was on a relegated sign does not mean he was bad. And in the past, maybe it, when you look at some big teams, when you get new owners come in, Newcastle's about to get when we've had Chelsea before, they try and go and get big household names who, because they've been playing for Real Madrid or AC Milan or one of the big boys, they must therefore be good. And the, the analysis and the data and the, that kind of money ball approach would tell you that's not how it is. You want to try and find every component piece that makes the collective as good as possible, which as we've seen with Michael Edwards, all the pieces fit together perfectly. And that would be the approach. And that's what money ball is. I think the thing with the FSG did with the Red Sox that has kind of, they've done a brilliant PR job of is they make out like, the money ball thing was gave them such an advantage. They somehow saved some kind of money or something and, and they did it on the cheap and then were good. They didn't do what the Oakland A's did. The Oakland A's did it out of, they had to, they had no money. FSG found the most, uh, the, the biggest market inefficiencies and then paid a bunch for it. Right. So they found the guys who were undervalued, but then paid them as they should have been valued, if that makes sense. So yeah, yeah. Um, that would be the difference. Whereas with Liverpool, they've just found inefficiencies. They didn't pay what the market value should be for Mohamed Salah, which would now be you know, 120, 200 million. Um, they paid the cut price deal when they found it. The thing with, with football is it's just so difficult to find inefficiencies. There's, it's really hard. Usually the good players are the good players type thing. Um, uh, what the, the difference is the Red Sox in Major League Baseball would be the Man City, the Man United, they are the big boys on the block. There's not that much of a need to find inefficiencies, though Though they still do try to, to hunt for them, and they obviously have been successful doing that. But when needed, they can just go and put down a contract that no one else can match other than the Yankees. So they still have that apparatus in there. They still have that ability. And Liverpool, obviously, that they don't have that. They, they cannot go out there and just, obviously, they signed Allison and Van Dijk, but they cannot go out there and say, we want Neymar this summer or we want Mbappe this summer. Let's go and, and match PSG's offering, but 200 million. And they just don't play in that in that, in that ballpark in, in football. Yeah, I suppose that the other difficulty as well is that baseball and, and soccer don't necessarily sort of work in the same way. Can you ever really take Moneyball 100% and apply it to, to football or, or soccer? Or is that just never going to quite be the case? 
Uh, well, I think Moneyball, you become in danger of using it as a catch-all term. Like I said, it's just about finding stuff that's not valued properly. Um, and you can do that in any walk of life. So Moneyball, as the, the kind of the concept, can be applied to anything. Um, the idea of being cheap in the Premier League and being successful does not work. You just go and look at through the history of the game, whoever tops the salary charts usually wins the league, right? You, you get very odd anomalies of this Liverpool team, even though they spend more than almost everyone other than City um, and Leicester. Um, even when Blackburn broke through, obviously they paid over the odds for everyone. So there is a massive correlation in football between this wage spend and winning. Um, so I think that that is that that is the significant difference there. Yeah, I mean, even in terms of away from Moneyball, I mean, quite often any journalist that, that praises FSG's job is instantly accused of, of being on the payroll and perpetuating <laughs> some kind of propaganda and, and all sorts of things. I mean, I'm sure as soon as this podcast goes out, we'll get certain uh, people replying to it in a certain way. But I mean, that, that just isn't really an accurate picture of what FSG have done, whether it's Moneyball, whether it's other things at, at Liverpool. I mean, they've genuinely just done a, a really good job with Liverpool Football Club, haven't they? Yeah, that's the problem is that you almost want to be the journalist who books the trend and goes against it and says, well, what about this and what about that? And obviously you have the furloughing issue and you have the ticketing stuff, but it does pale in comparison to, to some of the issues with some other teams. What they've done is it's pretty impressive. I mean, they are the only people other than the Glazers who have won what would be their main title in America, the World Series, and the Glazers won the Super Bowl to win the Champions League and to win the domestic league titles. And they did it without plunging the club into masses of debt and kind of stripping out some of the soul of it. And in fact, they brought it back after the Hicks and Gillette days, um, in part by just finding the transformative manager. Um, I will say that, that that idea of the propaganda is not... Is not um, unfounded i mean they own their own media apparatus they own the big newspaper in boston they own the major um cable sports network uh nesson um, which by the way rarely shows liverpool and rarely talks about them which i find interesting um so it's not as though it's like this completely wild conspiracy thing like they do own their own media major media networks um that talk about them so uh so so there's that yeah, I, I suppose, though, that sort of works for, for the Red Sox, but it doesn't necessarily apply to Liverpool, does it, as you say? I mean, they they don't, for example, own the Liverpool Echo in the same way that yes. they own the, the, the Boston Globe over in Boston. So, I mean, it, I suppose in that sense, it, it's not quite the same, is it? No, and they would be keen to point out they don't own the Boston Globe. John Henry owns the Boston Globe. Very different, very different, man. No <laughs> conflict of interest at all. There are also links to other US sports, courtesy of FSG, in the form of a superstar in his own right, who could have a big impact thanks to Liverpool's new kit manufacturer. LeBron James bought a 2% stake in, in Liverpool in, in 2011, and it's said that his investment is now worth six times the amount that he paid at the time, which I, I suppose is largely down to the work that FSG did. But he's also a part of, of the FSG management group and, and works with the club, as, as far as I'm aware. I mean, what sort of link is there between those two? What exactly does he do? I do not know. Um, his his discussions around Liverpool, beyond what I see publicly of the Instagram stuff and the tweets, is very, very private, which is very unusual for him because he is usually pretty much all out there. I have to imagine it, it's mostly to do with media rights and just strategy and stuff, but I, I don't see any kind of like long-term LeBron vision on the club. I mean, the, the stuff he does ordinarily, he has a massive hand on. He is broadcast everywhere. And yet, aside from a couple of photo ops at games and like I said, a few tweets and stuff that he's not really like a present figure uh, at the club or even within his own branding is Liverpool used a lot. I think now they go tonight, maybe we see 
Um, I mean, we'll definitely see some kind of collaboration, whether it's a shoe or, you know, whatever it is, just a whole range of clothing, maybe. Um, but I think that's when things now start to get really interesting. And maybe, you know, greasing the wheels off the night deal, maybe. I mean, it's the biggest football club, uh, one of the biggest football clubs on earth. So, of course, Knight wanted to be involved, but maybe he had some kind of help there because he's one of the few people on earth who can just walk straight into the boardroom. <laughs> you know, he's LeBron James. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe there's some tenuous stuff there, but I don't. there's not a, like anything day-to-day going on. No, I, I suppose that the night thing is the crucial thing, isn't it? I mean, it, you mentioned maybe a clothesline or, or some sort of shoe mm. or something like that. I mean, it, do you think that's the, the most likely way that he could be useful to Liverpool in the future in terms of almost that, that brand deal? Because of the way that the Nike deal is structured, of course, it's a lesser guaranteed fee, but then it's it, it's more on how much gets sold. I suppose he could be yeah. quite useful in that regard. I mean, it's something as simple as if he puts on his shoes, you'll never walk alone. And he uses it as a double message to himself, but it also advertises at the club. It's already a universal message around the world. And it's obviously associated to the club, but it goes tenfold when LeBron James wears it on his shoes. You know, it becomes a talking point. It becomes the head topic of Sports Center. It goes into the Chinese market and all these places. And so he just has a a level of visibility that the club itself has in some markets, but in certain markets, he probably out you know, is uh, outsells the club. Yeah, certainly the the Chinese market, I think, is one that mm-hmm. the Liverpool want to, to expand into. So certainly that will be interesting. I, I suppose that the other parallel with uh, Boston and, and Liverpool is sort of the, the Red Sox Stadium, Fenway Park. I mean, mm-hmm. FSG chose to, to stay there and renovate it. They did exactly the same with Anfield on Merseyside. And I suppose it was the correct call in, in both instances. Absolutely. I mean, they, they understand the a line I use quite a bit when I talk about them both with Boston and with Liverpool is that they use the past as to sell for the now and then it pays for the future. What what they understand as opposed to a lot of other clubs and other new ownership groups is that the, you should try and do everything you can to accentuate the thing that makes the club special. Don't try and be the people who come in and build a new stadium and say, hey, it's a new future and there was before us and after us. No, you are the custodians for a certain amount of time and what you should do is go in there and make the best thing about the club as best as possible. And it will draw more people to the club and you'll be able to sell it. And what have they be done since they've got here? They have sold Anfield. They have sold the atmosphere. They have sold the community, the culture. And obviously having Jürgen helps with that massively. But that is the, the crucial thing that they've done just commercially. Go and look at their marketing deals. It's all about culture. It's about putting 96 on the back of the kit. It's about Anfield. It's about the noise and the atmosphere and just being a part of this culture as a whole. It's about having Trent being the lad from Liverpool as the face of the marketing. It's all that stuff. That is what they've, they've done with Liverpool. And that's what they did in Boston. And if had they moved to Stanley Park or another site, it just would not have been the same. And they understand that instinctively that... Uh, that's already going to cost you so much in the short term and it doesn't actually help in the long run. People want to be a part of a community. People who follow the club from Singapore to Delhi, they want to be at Anfield. They don't want to be at the new Stanley Park Stadium. Yeah, I suppose that's possibly the the biggest strength really of FSG and that they've sort of harnessed that power of of Anfield and that sort of thing and and commercialised it as you say I mean the the bottom line is that they want to make money out of the club and Mm -hmm. that is a really good way of doing it I suppose and sort of marketing things like this means more and and that sort of thing you you sort of have to to back that up don't you with you know actual tangible results on the pitch and, and therefore the backing of the fans that comes with that. 
Yeah, no, it's not as though they were casting around saying we have to go and find any football club. This is going to be the Premier League boom and the TV rights deal. Let's go and get anyone we can. They picked the one they could afford, first and foremost, that was close to going to being liquidated. Um, and they picked the one they knew was, again, going back to the inefficiency stuff, that was the, the, the biggest fallen giant, that all these commercial opportunities were just sat there and not being used properly. Um, you know, they saw that and they targeted that. It's not like you said that the other club they looked at was Fulham because there was a culture and a tradition and could do something with that stadium. They were waiting for one of these, the one where it just wasn't being utilized properly and that they thought they could go in and not have to do all that much other than doing, you know, the commercials behind the, the scenes and reformatting that. But actually within the fabric of the club, you don't have to change much. People are waiting for it to, to be a success. Yeah, and I mean, we've spoken, obviously, about the, the last decade of, of FSG and, and all the process that they've gone through to get Liverpool to this point. What's next? I mean, we've seen Manchester City buy up various clubs mm -hmm. and use them as, as feeder clubs. We've seen Liverpool a few months ago linked with Rangers, potentially with a similar sort of model in mind. Is that an option for Liverpool? And, and what do you think comes next for FSG? I think that's a fascinating thing, and I think that is where this sport is going to go, is you're going to have all these satellite mini-clubs that they say aren't that aren't part of one group, but they are obviously part of one group, whether it's in Belgium, like you mentioned, City, but another team there. The Rangers link, I think, is, is an interesting one, and doing something like that, I don't know if you saw this week, they had the, the data released on the per capita amount of people who go and watch football matches in person, and, and Scotland is the has the highest rate in Europe. So that, you know, there's the, the people there where you could really do something quite interesting and special. Um, so I think that's thing, the big thing that they're coming to a crossroads with what they've done in Boston in terms of buying up things around um, the stadium um, and how they've kind of manipulated the books of the Red Sox, where they're at a point where they're, they're going to have to decide, do they want to be the people who own the Red Sox for the next 30, 40 years? Or are they going to move the Red Sox on and move fully to football for the long term? I think the only way they can become kind of a, a city football group type um, type group is if they sold the Red Sox. And that is obviously a, a monumental decision that they would have to make. It's not one you take lightly, particularly in the, in the current COVID uh, pandemic and what will the you know, the, the sports landscape, the financial markets look like over the next 10, uh, 10 months, 12, 12 months over the next couple of years. But I think that they don't have the cash on hand to just go into a city football group thing. It would have to be a, we are now fully in the football world and we're divesting some from, from the American market. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. And the final guests on the show, Liverpool fans Adam Zand and Garrett Labont from LFC's official supporters group in Boston. As Reds fans in the city in which the club's owners are based, they also have a unique insight into what the feelings towards the team are there, beginning with the link in recent sporting success. It's funny, you, you bring up a connection I wasn't even thinking about, that uh, you know both, both cities do a pretty good job with parades. Uh, you know, since since 2001, we've had what uh, Garrett 11 parades. We've had a lot of parades in uh, in Boston sports, and uh, you know, I, I obviously I watched the uh, Liverpool uh, open top buses. That that was amazing after the Champions League. But I just think the relief that everybody's going to be feeling coming out of this, it, it's going to be the biggest parade ever, probably. Like, why wouldn't it be? We've been together for. As LC Boston for 15, and we haven't, you know, we had, you know, the European Cup, but this was different. So I, I think we just kind of all had, had that feeling of elation and 
wanting a connection at the same time. So that's why we Zoom call to everybody amongst ourselves. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm sure there were similar scenes all across the world. And I suppose, you know, the, the link with Boston is, is particularly important with Liverpool's owners. And, and that's kind of the reason that we've we've got you both onto to this podcast, really, because obviously John Henry and, and Fenway Sports Group don't just own Liverpool Football Club. They also own Boston Red Sox as well. And I mean, uh, do either of you count yourselves as, as Red Sox fans? Is there is there much of a crossover, really, between... The, the Red Sox fans and, and maybe soccer fans and, and Liverpool fans in particular? I would say that there is a decent amount of crossover from the Red Sox to uh, Liverpool. Uh, not just, you know, amongst the teams, but amongst uh, the, you know, the demographics of Boston in general. Uh, you know, we have a lot of um, people coming over from England and expats from Ireland who are Liverpool fans who've kind of spread it amongst people here uh, in Boston and in New England itself. Then there is obviously the club itself, uh, the connections. And with the two fan bases, you had the Red Sox. Whenever G first took over, there was an 86-year championship drought for the Red Sox. And within, I believe, three years of them coming uh, owning the club, they, they brought the first championship amongst four that they won in the last uh, 19, 20 years. Similarly, they've kind of done that the same thing with Liverpool. It's taken a little bit longer to end a, you know, a thirty-year drought, a shorter drought, but a drought nonetheless. I think just with the demographics of the area, you have people just joining in. Uh, plus, you have Boston being a hub of education for the area. We have a lot of people coming in, not just from the country but from abroad as well, kind of bringing in their support for Liverpool. You know, I, I think it would be best described as back, you know, in the early. 2010, 2011, our, our max membership for the year would be 150, maybe 170 on a good year. And then it would kind of drop off a little bit uh, throughout the years. Uh, but more recently, it's continued to increase. Last year, we had a membership total of about 400 people. This year, it's increased to about 700 people. And those are, you know, they're also Red Sox fans. Um, so I would say there is that connection between both the Red Sox and Liverpool. And I know some people would follow, would follow football. And when the Red Sox purchased Liverpool, excuse me, when FSG purchased Liverpool, they now had a team to root for because they, they saw that connection and they saw it as a real connection to a team, to a club that maybe they didn't know that much about, but they could see so much of the Red Sox and Liverpool and probably vice versa at the same time. The only thing I would add is we've actually been able to watch Liverpool in the States uh, during several summer tours, and um, there's been three separate trips to Boston and specifically Fenway Park. And if you know the configuration of Fenway Park, the bleachers, in effect, the uh, kind of seats farthest away from home plate, um, that, that's a massive area where a lot of people could fit in. And um, obviously, that's where they put the Liverpool supporters. You know, we, we had our club. We had people coming from all over the United States, especially uh, the last couple of tours. And that's just a special experience seeing, uh, you know, players on the pitch and, the, and, and obviously Klopp. And it, it extended to, to an experience, especially this last tour last summer. You know, the night before, Jamie Webster played at a large music venue and it was packed out, unbelievably packed out. And at the same time, 
Um, LFC was nice enough to put on clinics for uh, children and youth football, youth soccer. And then there was also speakers at pubs. So it was just like a really concerted effort to make this experience really special for people in Boston and, of course, around the country at other stops. Um, the other thing, you know, I, I just think we've had, especially the last few years with the recent TV contract, everybody has access to, to Liverpool matches and some of our rivals. Um, you know, you, you can watch like five matches a week at least um, sometimes, depending on what's going on in Europe and the like. So, I mean, the, the combination of having access to a team, um, having the ownership that Garrett talked about, having the connections, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's a perfect recipe, um, for almost like two sister cities. You know, we, we see plenty of people at the Phoenix landing, our pub that we go into, um, in Cambridge and they'll say, you know, where are you from? And it's it, invariably, it's all oh, Liverpool grew up in Liverpool. Great to, great to be here. Finally, we've read about you guys. It's like, Oh gosh, you know, that, that makes it special. You know, both, both sides of the Atlantic. The link is clear between Boston and Liverpool, and right now, for all their errors, most in England would say that FSG have been great for the Reds during their time here overall. But would those in Boston agree? Absolutely. So here, here's here's a thought. You know, all all things start off a little rocky when you're when you're sort of getting um, acclimated. But uh, overall, I mean, we give FSG huge credit for being able to invest in both teams, uh, the Red Sox and Liverpool. Um, in some ways, like I mentioned, I think they learn from their mistakes. Um, and most importantly, uh, they put really smart people in charge uh, of, of both teams. And I'd almost argue, well, you know, that, that having um, sort of dedicated staffs on both sides of the Atlantic, thinking about uh, how the team is perceived and um, how fans can be involved, supporters can be involved. Uh, for both teams, they, they just do everything right. And I guess lastly, I'd look at the game day experience. Um, I'm not sure how long a lot of listeners have been going to Anfield, but, you know, I, I, I started in the, in the late seventies going to Anfield um, and, and, you know, say what you will about the neighborhood and about what was going on in the economy. But the, the experience the last two times I've been over with my son is, is, uh, just, just wonderful. You know, you feel comfortable in the, in the pubs, you feel comfortable walking around. Um, it, it's, it's relatively easy to get to depending on uh, what modes of transport and the same thing at Fenway, um, the, both two very, you know, uh, historic, some would say kind of ancient, um, grounds and stadiums and, um, FSG spent a ton of money and, and maybe the previous ownership did too in making the experience better for people, whether that was, you know, seats or concessions or even the outside the grounds kind of experience that we feel both at Fenway um, and Anfield Road. So I, I don't know if that gets to all your, your points, but I, I really do think um, John Henry, um, you know, th they're dedicated to both, which I think is, is tough sometimes in the, in the business world and in the sporting world. And I won't name names, but you, you can take a look at, at some of the U.S. ownership um, in the Premier League that, that almost doesn't pay attention equally to, you know, two sporting franchises. 
for the detriment. You know, we, we don't feel that with FSG. In Liverpool, they've had, I think it's fair to say, a, a, a bit of criticism at times for, for certain ways that they've gone about things. You think about the, the £77 tickets and things like that, that that people didn't like. I mean, how yeah. much how much was that picked up in, in Boston? Was that something that, that got coverage in, in the media yeah. and that sort of thing? Yeah, it, it was actually. Um, I think you, maybe even on this pod, you, you talked to some of the Boston Globe writers um, we've got some pretty passionate journalists on this side of the Atlantic who, who follow the sport. And we've also got, as you know, um, a, a multi, multi number of official Liverpool supporters clubs. So between the two, you know, the online forums and, and social media and having journalists looking at this, it, it definitely got reported. You know, um, obviously we have access to, to the Echo and we've got, you know, we've got pretty good um, uh, journalists who we can pay attention to. So I, I would say we we absolutely knew about the the increase in, in um, the seventy seven pound ticket. Um, we absolutely heard about the furloughed employees, you know, during COVID. And and like Garrett said, um, the the team was smart and was able to react and and reach out to the supporters, especially and make the best decisions moving forward in, in the best interests of supporters and even their business best interests. You know, they, they, they want to be, they want to be welcomed. Um, and, and, uh, I, I think it's positive right now. And I don't think that's just because of champions league winning or, you know, the premier league winning. I just think there's a general sense, um, whether it was the support that they gave to Klopp, you know, when, when he needed, um, some very expensive transfers and to make hard decisions about getting rid of some players. Uh, they, they almost didn't get involved in that, which is a good thing in ownership. You know, they, they let Klopp and the, and the brain trust make the decisions. Um, so, we, yeah, a long answer to a short question. You know, once again, we're, we're pretty happy um, with their ability to react to possible negativity. Yeah, I mean, I, I find it personally really interesting that, that John Henry is the owner of the newspaper over in Boston. Do you think that in any way has, has sort of shaped the way that the Red Sox are, are covered? I mean, obviously, he doesn't have the same sort of thing in, in Liverpool. Yeah, have, that, have you read yeah, yeah, Have you read the Boston Globe? Some of the most negative articles I've ever seen about the Red Sox have been in the Boston Globe. And I, I won't name reporters. No, no, they're, they're independent. And um, Linda Pazuti has, has also a role with the Boston Red Sox, and she's very connected to the community and obviously shows up to a lot of matches. So, no, no, no. I, I think you're going to get a pretty fair shake, you know, when they do something good and when they do something bad. Um, it, it, it's a little bit, you know, excuse the expression, but separation of church and state. You know, they, they, they really would get in more trouble if they, if they um, you know, tried to pump up the team unnecessarily, Red Sox or Liverpool, or, you know, their other business interests. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure the relationship, there's a reason that media has become in, entrenched in ownership. And, and sure, you know, Nesson, which is also owned by the Red Sox, that's a broadcasting network. They're able to show Liverpool matches the day after and even pick up some of the... Um, I think the European uh, chat shows on Nestle occasionally. So I, I look at it as a plus 
and and fan you know supporters know if if we're being insulted just like we talked about with the uh you know the ticket prices or the furloughs or you know looking back at the red sox hiring the wrong manager or you know spending too much money on a free agent who is who is not made for the team the the boston globe and uh nesson even and especially the supporters clubs and the supporters will uh make that heard yeah no that makes makes complete sense the only reason i i asked the question really is because whenever we say something positive over here in our media about fsg there tends to be a sort of reaction and, and I suppose it, it sort of comes from that where people are, are aware that, that John Henry does have some influence but as you say maybe not quite in the, the same way over in Boston but uh, just a, a final question then really for, for the both of you I mean we, we spoke there about the errors and you mentioned the furlough scheme and things like that the £77 tickets obviously FSG have made errors like that at Liverpool but have they made similar errors with the Red Sox? It's a it's a tough it's a tough thing to run a, a major league baseball team because of multiple reasons. Um, there, there's salary issues that a, a lot of European sports don't deal with. Um, there's there's uh, scheduling, you know, 162 games effectively during the year, and then hopefully playoffs. And there's so many more up and downs in that length of a season. Then, frankly, even back when Liverpool was playing 80 or 90 matches, you know, with, with European and FA Cup and league. So, I, sure, there's been mistakes. And, and the weird thing about, about the Red Sox, and, and, and it happened, they, they finished last place and then they won a title. And it happened twice, I think, right, Garrett? I mean, that, that would not necessarily happen in the premier league because you've got relegation and you've got promotion and um, you know, sure you can have a, a team bursting to the top like uh, Leicester city or, you know, somebody else, but in the States there's sort of a power structure in place that also allows for smart decision-making and, and hiring really good people and getting like sort of just, I'm, I'm a little long winded here it's hard to run a baseball team consistently year to year, I think would be the easy answer. So yes, there's been staffing mistakes. There's been managerial mistakes, but overall, like Garrett said, we, a lot of our, our, not us necessarily, but grandparents and, and parents who never saw a Red Sox title are, are over the moon about John Henry and Werner and, you know, the, the minority partners. I'm sure right. Garrett has, yeah, Garrett has something. Right, right, and to respond, you know, going back to Liverpool, you know, Liverpool regarding ticket prices, you know, the Red Sox have increased ticket prices, and people accept that as, you know, just part of business. Um, there were some times when maybe, the, you know, uh, like in 2008 when the economy, you know, crashed, you know, and they were, they were thinking about raising ticket prices, and they heard from fans that, you know, it's, you know, with everything going on, we just can't t- handle it. So they they ended up, I think, freezing tickets that year. Um, so I, they they do. They might be a misstep here and there, but they do look at what what you know what the fans or supporters are saying, and you know try to reach some common ground uh, between what's best for the organization and what's best for the fans. 
Definitely. And I'm sure we can all agree that FSG's time at Liverpool has largely been successful. And of course, a Champions League and a Premier League title in the last two seasons certainly seems to point towards that. Throughout this podcast, you'll no doubt have noticed the frequent references to Billy Bean and Moneyball, not least when I was speaking to Liverpool.com's Ollie Connolly. Bean is a man that John W. Henry attempted to take to the Red Sox when he saw what he could do with data, statistics and the science behind recruitment. It's a principle that Liverpool FC have embraced of late. Moneywall is about finding value in the market, be that in the form of an undervalued asset such as Andy Robertson or Mohamed Salah, or a transformational signing like Virgil van Dijk or Alison Becker. We'll be speaking to Billy Bean next week on the Blood Red channel, and it's sure to be a fascinating insight into the way that Liverpool go about signing players and the way in which Michael Edwards, Chief Scout Barry Hunter and the rest of the Reds' analysts have applied moneyball techniques to soccer. As Rory Smith wrote in the New York Times in the aftermath of Liverpool's title victory a couple of weeks back, to interpret Liverpool's approach as a mere facsimile of Moneyball is a misrepresentation. It is instead a successor of it, an upgrade to it. Merseyball, perhaps. We'll try and find the answers to exactly that with Billy Bean himself next week, but until next time on the Blood Red channel, from me and all of my brilliant guests, thank you for listening and goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.